in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am Russell Guest, your host, and I'm also excited today. Joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Chad Robinson. Hello, everybody. And, Chad, what excites me more than any other thing in the world? Watching movies? Yeah, yes, but the <laughs> second most exciting thing in the world is New a first-time guest. guest. Yes, first-time guest. And today joining us is Jeff Michael. Good evening. How are you? It's going well. You're like Ricky Bobby. You have two first names. I do. I do. And I have many people tell me often that you can't trust people with two first names. You really but, can't? But, so. you, but you don't have roaming hands. so I can, no, I, I, no, I definitely do not. Thank you for pointing that out. It's a podcast. You don't see that. But just in, right. case, if, in case people thought he was hands were just floating up in space, they're not. Right. So, uh, and, and it, with all due respect. Of course. <laughs> That's how we started. They just met each other five minutes ago. <laughs> That's a good start. Baseless accusation. Um, so let's break the ice here and get to know Jeff just a little bit. What was your first PG-13 movie? Because this is a PG-13 movie today. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this earlier today. And with me being a little further along in years, um, I remember when PG-13 first came out and was first a thing. And I think... The first movie I saw that was PG-13 was the first PG-13 movie, Red Dawn. Red Dawn. It may have been Red Dawn. It may have been Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> was that PG-13? It was PG-13. I would have sworn that was PG. Right? No. I would go with Red Dawn. I, 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 yeah, honestly, I can't remember um, which one I saw first, but I'm going to go with Red Dawn, yeah. Maybe I, if we can just edit out uh, Adventures in Babysitting. I, I'm going to stand. I, I'm going to stand by you. I saw it when I was very young, but I, I had a good time with it as a kid. So why not? Why have two thirds of this room seen Adventures in Babysitting? Well, I, I I think I already told you why I saw it, and there, there's two reasons: Elizabeth and Shue. <laughs> uh, at, at that age, I was a very big fan of Elizabeth Shue. That's true. You saw Honey. Yeah. Oh, ouch. Right. That's. That's a, that's a whole other level of I, commitment. I saw it for free, but yeah, I'll, I'll own that one. Okay. <laughs> All right. My first PG-13 was Batman. 89 Batman. Mm, As yes. I've told the story so many times on here, that's one of my first movie theater memories. And wow. Yeah, I loved it. That's so, a great one. Yeah. I one, think I saw that um, 17 times in the theater oh. back then. That's appropriate. That's yes. the appropriate number of times to see it in the theater. I had a buddy that uh, also loved uh, Batman. And superhero movies, and we went to see that one a lot. It, it with good reason. I mean, uh, you know, other than Superman, we hadn't really seen a superhero movie like right. that. So, right. if for anybody who was a mild fan of comics, that that was a, I have no doubt. Absolutely. And four year old me, it was like, no doubt. <laughs> but the first VG thirteen nine movie that I watched that my folks did not want me to see was Wayne's World. Okay. <laughs> but uh. Which we've covered on the podcast. Check it out. Yes. Chad, what was your first PG-13 movie? I think it was Red Dawn. I think mine oh. was Red Dawn as well. Okay. 
Okay. I, I saw that closer to 13 than a lot of you all. Now, today's movie has a memorable fight in it. What is your favorite fight scene, Jeff? I put a lot of thought into this as well, and I had a hard time narrowing it down to one. My initial thought, and I, I kind of viewed this as a little bit of a cop-out possibly because it's you know, a fighting movie. But uh, Rocky Balboa and Ivan Drago in Rocky IV. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of that movie. That's my favorite of all of Rocky movies. Wait, the fourth one's your favorite? Yes, it Okay. Is. Absolutely. That's a it great is. one. Yeah. I was right at the right age when that came out to really be into those kind of movies. And um, when when Rocky and Rocky II first came out, I was a little too young yet to, to really enjoy them too much. Uh, and of course, you know, growing up in the 80s, you've got the Cold War scare. So, I mean, we were, anytime Americans could beat the Russians at anything back then, that was cool. So, um, that was my initial thought. And after I put a little more thought into it, I actually said that I'm going to go with the lightsaber battle between um, Obi-Wan and Darth Anakin at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I like this movie, and Chad Chad has issues with the prequels, but uh, I'm going to back you on this one. That's a... that. A, that's a good movie, and that's a good scene. That is my favorite of the prequels. Me too. And yeah, Chad and I have talked about that a bit as well. And um, yeah, just the, the intensity of that final scene, and again, growing up you know, with Star Wars the way I did, knowing what the, the end result of the, yeah. the fight was going to be. Oh, it's the problem with the prequel. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a little bit of that, but just the, the intensity. And, and of course, it doesn't hurt that the entire fight took place on a planet that was burning with lava the entire time. Too, that's pretty so, cool. Yeah. I have the high ground. Come on now. I'm okay with that line. I didn't say the dialogue was my favorite. I said the fight was my favorite. Yeah. I mean, that's not the worst Luke, the worst dialogue Lucas ever wrote. Yeah. So. Very true. Fair. Now, who is your favorite hockey or golf player of all time? Because we're doing a, today a movie about a hockey or a golf player, depending right. on at what point you ask him. I absolutely do not have a favorite golfer of all time. I, I just don't get into golf a whole lot. Um. As far as hockey goes, been in Pittsburgh my whole life. I'm a Pittsburgher. It has to be Mario Lemieux. Mario Lemieux? Yes, yeah. it has to be. Because he kept the team here and saved him from moving away and by buying him. You and... know, the, the, um, the ability that he had as a player, and then, yes, what he ended up doing later on in his career to, to help keep the team here. Um, you know, fantastic hockey player. I will always, always argue that he is the greatest hockey player of all time. Um, so yeah, definitely my favorite. Now that sounds like a hot take to everybody outside of Pittsburgh, but for those of us in Pittsburgh, that's a common opinion. Yes, right. <laughs> there are people out on the streets applauding right now. And that's not taking anything away from that uh, that Gretzky guy, but uh, Mario's Mario's the man. That's why he has the nickname a great one. Yes. Did you see what I did there? Yes. <laughs> so what movie are we gonna do today, Chad? We are doing 1996 Happy Gilmore. All right, so this movie comes out in 96, as Chad mentions. It's got a PG-13 rating, and uh, it grosses $38.8 million, placing it at 38 in the box office. So if you're following the numerology at all, that lined up. It is coming in behind Sense and Sensibility and ahead of The Ghost and the Darkness. The number one movie from 96 was Independence Day. IMDb gives it a 7.0. The Rotten Critics... Oh, sorry, the rotten, the rotten Critics. Rotten they are rotten. They didn't like this movie. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes Critics gave it a 61%, but the audience likes it considerably more and gives it an 85%. It 
It comes away with a little bit of hardware. The MTV Movie Awards give it the best fight between Adam Sandler and Bob Barker. And it was the first ever a winner or uh, first ever winner for that award. So that was pretty interesting. It also got a comedic uh, best comedic performance for Adam Sandler in 96 uh, MTV Movie Award nomination as well. But that went to Jim Carrey for Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, which that, that was funny stuff. Coming out, anytime you come out of a rhino's butt, you, you deserve an award. <laughs> So, Jeff, had you seen Happy Gilmore before? If so, what was your background with it? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I've seen it many times over the years. I do remember seeing it in the theater when it first came out back in 96. Enjoyed it tremendously then. I really didn't know a whole lot. I think that was my first Adam Sandler movie and my first real exposure to him at that point. I may have known him from you know the Thanksgiving song on SNL, but I, I didn't know a lot about him. So went to see it, remember laughing hard, enjoying it tremendously. Um, I own it on, on DVD and have watched it many times over the years, and I uh, watched it a couple more times in preparation for today. Awesome. And is it holding up for you over time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My, as a matter of fact, my wife had to ask me to keep it down yesterday because I was laughing a little too loudly while she was trying to sleep. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I still find it very enjoyable. Um, you know, it, it doesn't seem dated. Definitely. I don't think it does for the no. most part. Yeah. yeah stunningly not. Right. Yeah. I expected I expected to have maybe some problems with whether it be uh, just age of like the types of humor that Sandler often does, but no, this one didn't have much of that. So Chad, what about you? Had you seen Happy Gilmore before? I did. I think I got to it outside of theaters. It was probably around junior high for me, but uh, it, it might have been my first Adam Sandler movie as well. Okay. How did it go down for you then, and how's it going down for you now? I think it had a lot more impact than I realized. A lot of these lines that I found in the movie, I've said my entire life, and I didn't realize they came from this movie, except for maybe one or two. Really? So, <laughs> as I was rewatching it, I'm thinking, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I still say that one, I still say that one. Oh my goodness, this movie was apparently highly influential. So it's permeating popular culture, and that's a, that's always a sign of a classic. I myself saw this movie in 97 after it came out on video. My sister was a fan of it. My sister was a fan of Sandler at the time. I had seen Billy Madison prior to this. It didn't connect with me as much when I first saw that. I've later gone on to grow to like it more, uh, perhaps just the age I was. Like, this guy's an idiot. But, um, which he was. But You're not wrong. Yeah, but Happy Gilmore went down for me even better. It's probably my favorite Adam Sandler movie, I would say. I've watched it all along the way. I watched it in high school, throughout college several times. It was a good college movie to, to have friends sit around and watch. And uh, I've stumbled into it maybe through TV a time or two as well. So it just it keeps coming back, and it, I always enjoy it. And right. sometimes I go away from it for a while, and I start to think, maybe it wasn't that great, or I start to say, like, oh, that was funny at the time, but then I return to it and I go, nope, this, <laughs> is, this, is, a, this is still funny, and I'm having a great time. Uh, I'm, I'm, I proudly own this movie. So uh, Now, if you haven't seen this movie, we want to warn the listeners, there will be spoilers that lie ahead, so you're going to want to watch Happy Gilmore come back and listen to the rest of this podcast. We'll be back after this. It is I, the governor of the magnificent state of California. I am happy to endorse my favorite audio listening podcast show, The Retro Movie Roundtable. I enjoy listening to the multiple episodes of this fine podcast. 
when I am working out on my glutes, hams, triceps and buttocks in the gym. I need to stay strong so I can stop the fires with my muscles. Please help me and my efforts to be supportive to the Gretro Movie Roundtable when you work out your body. It is very important to do this for yourselves. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. Download, subscribe, rate and review to the show. You too can get muscles by giving the Retro Movie Roundtable a 5 star review. Like the show on Facebook. Email to RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Take it from me, your 1967 Mr. Universe. This is something you are going to want to do for yourself. And we're back. If you haven't seen Happy Gilmore, this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. Now, Jeff, for people who have not seen Happy Gilmore since the great year of 1996, do you want to refresh people's memory? Sure, absolutely. So Happy Gilmore, played by Adam Sandler, of course, loves playing hockey. He's loved it since he was a child. There's one small problem. Other than having a killer slap shot, he pretty much stinks at it. So during his childhood, Happy's dad dies and Happy has to go live with his grandmother. Uh, he develops a really close relationship with his grandmother over the years and, and they're very close. Fast forward to his adult years, if you can call them adult, and Happy isn't very successful in life. He can't keep a job because that would get in the way of his perpetual training for hockey season even though he never gets selected to play for an organized team. Uh, he still has massive anger management issues that have carried over from his childhood. Go a little further and we see that the day after his girlfriend dumps him for being a loser going nowhere in life, Happy gets a phone call that his grandmother is in trouble with the IRS for owing almost $300,000 in back taxes. The IRS is seizing all of her property, including her home, Happy makes it his personal mission at this point to come up with the money to buy back Grandma's house. So despite thinking that the game of golf is stupid, silly, and for, I believe he phrased it as fat guys in goofy pants, Happy discovers that he can drive a golf ball pretty far, farther than most pros can. So he goes to a local country club and hustles members of the club into paying money to see how far he can drive golf balls. It's there that he meets up with retired pro golfer Chubbs Peterson, uh, who's played by uh, Carl Weathers. Uh, Chubbs encourages Happy to turn pro and teaches him the finer points of golf to improve his game. Happy sees this as a good opportunity to earn the money that he needs to save his grandmother's home. Happy wins a local tournament, which enables him to join the pro tour and is immediately the talk of the game. His long drives and erratic behavior on the golf course garner ratings and interest in the game that hadn't been seen before. This is good news for tour PR director Virginia Bennett, who eventually becomes Happy's love interest. However, his behavior angers top money winner Shooter McGavin, who views Happy as a disgrace to the game. Over the course of the tour, Happy's golf game keeps improving, but Shooter continually comes up with plots to sabotage Happy. At one point, Happy's even suspended from the tour for 30 days for getting in a fist fight with Bob Barker during a Pro-Am event. I'm sure we'll talk more about Bob Barker later. Happy overcomes adversity. He learns to tame his anger and eventually beats Shooter to win the tour and the money to buy back Grandma's house. Naturally, he also gets the girl. Happy ending. Yes, very much so. We're going to keep going that all podcast, aren't we? What? Happy? Happy ending. Happy. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, unless you're Chubbs. It was not really a happy ending for him. He got his, he got his arm back. He's and he made he up got with, a hand it to the guy. He yeah. made up with the gator and he was friends with Lincoln. 
I guess. But I mean, he's dead. He's made whole. Yeah, Mary, Mary every time, I remember she, she said this back a couple of years ago. She's like, wait, Chubbs is dead? And then watching it back here again now, she had the same like, wait, Chubbs, Chubbs is dead? dead? Every time he gets her. Oh. <laughs> like, so her change one thing is undoubtedly, I don't want Chubbs to die. But <laughs> um, as a story, it's pretty simple, but it actually has enough heart in it to make a comedy work pretty well. Jeff, what do you think about this as a story and as a uh, screenplay? I enjoy it. Um, it. It's not just a bunch of slapstick comedy for the sake of being comedy. You know, think of you know, movies like The Naked Gun or Airplane, which I enjoy tremendously as well, but there, there's no real storyline in those to speak of. Uh, yeah, a, a typical typical um, romantic comedy in some aspects because there is a little bit of a relationship there between Happy and, and Virginia. But the story advances at a good pace. The, the, the jokes, I think, are well-delivered and evenly paced to not be too silly, but to still definitely be funny and entertaining. Yeah, and I think another thing that's really important when you write comedy is to have a, you know, you don't want to go through these long dry spells of no laughter. And this, and it's really bad when your jokes don't land. And so when you have like these long dry spells, particularly if, if you have misses along the way, then that's when a comedy gets really shaky. This movie does a really good job, even in serious moments. We talked about the, having that human dimension in it, but it keeps those laughs coming. Right. Like even in the love scenes, there's still comedy. <laughs> even in adversity, there's still so comedy. comedy. So I think that was one of the things that I, I think it is well written. Uh, Chad, what are you, where do you stand on the writing? I think I'm impressed that all the little subplots are still funny, too, and the side characters are funny. The grandma on her own is funny. The nursing home scenes are funny. I love the nursing home scenes. <laughs> the, the love scenes that you mentioned are put in a humorous way. You're not like, all right, let's move on from this and get back to the golf uh, tour where funny things are going to happen. No, they throw in jokes there. And even when you're kind of caught off guard by the product placement, like it was hilarious to me that they're just obviously going full out. I'm a fan of the show Community. Community made an entire episode dedicated to Subway. They named a character Subway. <laughs> and it reminded me very much of that. Uh, it was so in your face and obvious and just tongue in cheek. But that stuff was making me laugh. Yeah, it was definitely on the nose. <laughs> right, right. I think the story of just needing to get his grandmother's house back it puts that little bit of you. You do invest in this character, and you do want him to to succeed. And it's one of those things where, like you mentioned, Jeff, that he's not just a goofy buffoon. The I think the intelligence in the writing, and why I think the critics being way too harsh on this is, it's not just the guy getting mad and beating people up. They make you care about him. They make you care about the grandma, and it's very simple. It's very simple, but. Uh, I think it's the right, it pretty much hits the right amount of depth for a comedy. Yeah, he is, Happy is no question a goofy buffoon. Uh, he absolutely is. But to use the word in the term that you used before, he's got an element of humanity that carries through. He's a goofy buffoon that loves his grandma. He's a goofy buffoon that wants to take care of her. And, you know, you do get that engagement and that buy-in because of that. So, yeah, it's not just one-dimensional. Yeah. Grandma showing up in the kiss mask inst right. instantly tells you, okay, this is a lady you should care about, and their relationship is special. Yeah, and 
I, even the delivery, like from, right from the get-go when he's giving you his backstory and stuff like that, there's these serious moments where his dad dies and the cocky puck goes through the, like, the home cam and his mom leaves him and all this horrible stuff's happening to him, but it's how it's narrated and this kind of uh, shake-it-off kind of notion with him and that's the hockey player in him. And that's, I think that's the other thing that's interesting, that consistency. They created a character who's this tough-as-nails kind of person and is just so driven by his dream. Again, they made a character that was constructed and it had something more to him than just he has an anger management problem. They use that, they construct the character and then they use it really well throughout the story. Yeah, you're right. Even with the ex-girlfriend, when Grandma asks, oh, how's that nice girlfriend? (laughs) Oh, she got hit by a car. She's dead. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I completely forgot that entire beginning of the movie like i forgot that existed the whole girlfriend, the girlfriend leaving and the uh the uh, intercom uh, scene. the intercom, yeah, the intercom <laughs> scene was one was, am i seeing an extended cut or something was this in the beginning it's just completely gone from my brain i don't remember it at all oh man i i did I, the the uh punchline of obviously, obviously a group of people gather around this intercom and stuff like that and then the asian lady comes up to right. him and then then uh it, the joke is carried one step further by the next morning, and then like the Asian lady standing there in his hockey yeah. in his hockey jersey. Hey, you don't want breakfast? Which I did not get when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, so I, de- I definitely did remember the hey, you don't want breakfast? There was a guy in my dorm hall who would sometimes say that in the morning, like if people wanted to go get breakfast, like like he would like hey, you know what breakfast? <laughs> so yeah. That, that line was definitely burned in here. No, I, I want to kiss you all over will never be the same for me. I just no. My favorite part of that was the uh, when she's like, you suck at hockey. You suck, and you're bad at teaching, and I've seen the finger paintings your kids make. They, <laughs> they suck, suck, too. <laughs> and then he like comes back to the room, I'm sorry, baby, the very nice finger paintings. <laughs> I just said that because I get mad. <laughs> One of the things that's really interesting is that Sandler is fired from Saturday Night Live, and I think that the resiliency of the character and him wanting to become a hockey player, the determination, is in a way somewhat of Adam, because whereas most most comedians look to be picked up into a vehicle, like they, they try and find that right role, Adam did what really helps the great comedians and movies make it was he went to the writing room and he had success with Billy Madison and then he followed it up with this. And there's a reason, I don't know the exact figure, but the man has made millions and millions of dollars and it's because he went, he and his friends, who he keeps a tight-knit group uh, and they write with each other and you know they go and create something that's right for him. It's crafted for him. Will Ferrell's another one of these people who is just really good at doing this and there's a reason Sandler and Farrell keep landing all these roles. They write for themselves. If you think about it, could you even for a minute think about Happy Gilmore being played by anybody else? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. And I think that's when you, a comedian in the writing is really awesome when they just tailor it for themselves. And he also had some great uh, former SNL friends who had, knew him and were suited for him to help write, write with him. Although, no Rob Schneider in this movie. I was stunned. I really was. Yeah, I was looking for him. I was just like, wait a minute. The Rob Schneider appearances don't start yet. <laughs> you did have Kevin Nealon. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was quality. Yes. 
I, I loved that. But uh, as we go into some of this, Chad, do you want to give us a cast rundown? Absolutely. So first and foremost, we have Adam Sandler playing Happy Gilmore, a wannabe hockey star who finds himself playing pro golf. Uh, next up, we have Christopher McDonald, who is Shooter McGavin. That's the cocky star of the pro golf tour and Happy's rival. Next is Julie Bowen. She plays Virginia Bennett, our love interest and the public relations head of the tour. There's Francis Bay, who is Grandma Gilmore. Carl Weathers, he's Chubbs Peterson, a former golf star who lost his hand after an alligator attack. What a ridiculous sentence that is. <laughs> uh, Alan Covert, he's Happy's homeless caddy. Actually winds up playing that role again later in life in uh, Jack and Jill. Oh, yeah, well, that's a different kind of movie. Uh, yeah, Richard Keel, who is Mr. Larson. He's Happy's towering former boss. Uh, if you've seen the James Bond films, if you're familiar with those, this is Jaws. Uh, there's Bob Barker. He plays Bob Barker. And Vern Lundquist, uh, really stretching himself as Vern Lundquist. Next up is our director, Dennis Dugan. He plays Doug Thompson, the Pro Tour Commissioner. There's Joe Flaherty, who is the jeering fan hired by Shooter to heckle Happy. And Lee Trevino, who plays himself. A lot of fun. And he's very disapproving throughout the movie. He just constantly shakes his head as if to say, oh man, no, I, this is not okay. I have to apologize to Lee Trevino. I did not know he who that was. I, 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 I only now in studying for this podcast found out who that was because it was just like, which one of Sandler's goofy friends is that? Right. <laughs> and so you're clearly talking to three friends who don't watch hockey. Or I mean, sorry, that don't watch, watch golf. golf. Yeah, we his, do watch hockey. His roommate did make it in as the silent broadcaster, like his college roommate, but yeah. Yeah. Did you get Alan Covert? Yeah. I think I called him Covert, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the Jack and Jill repeat. But also, I mean, you would know better from Grandma's Boy yes. as the main character from that. So, yeah. And uh, he's also a, a good staple in Sandler's comedy albums as well. He's, he's, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So like on uh, Stan and Judy's Kid, the whole hot water burn baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, That's Alan with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's the parent going, now, Ryan, let's say you made a glass of hot tea. Would you give that to the baby? Yeah, baby like tea. <laughs> no. <laughs> baby no like tea? Well, maybe the baby will like tea. <laughs> but what's the tea made with? Tea. And hot water. Oh, hot water, boom, baby. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was, that was fantastic. We did forget to mention Ben Stiller. He was uncredited, that's, so that's, I did not that, mention him. I knew that. I, 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 uncredited and unmentioned, apparently. Yes. Yes. He was Al L. It's funny. I, um, I am a Ben Stiller fan, but I didn't pick up on this being Ben Stiller until way after the fact. Like I was watching this in college at one point, and I was like, wait a minute. That's Ben Stiller. How do I not remember that? And he has a lot of memorable lines in this one, so... Uh, <laughs> He's horribly mean to the elderly patients he's responsible for taking care of. What a fun role that had to be, though. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right off the bat of, like, how about a glass of shut up? <laughs> Excuse me? You will go to sleep, or I will put you to sleep. <laughs> and that mustache 
Also, yeah. I wonder. I just bet that was Ben in the wardrobe department of like, how can I make this ridiculous character more ridiculous? <laughs> I think this is probably, we didn't talk about this maybe being my favorite Adam Sandler movie. Where is this in terms of your rankings for Sandler movies? Uh, it's, it's in my top two. I bounce back and forth between this and Big Daddy. I, I'm, I, I like Big Daddy a lot. Uh, definitely one of the two of those is my favorite. Uh-huh. And what about you? This is number two for me. I like Billy Madison better. Uh, I quote the end trivia scene quite a bit of Billy Madison, but uh, this is right up there. It's close. Yeah. Like I said, this is up there for me. And uh, this is probably Christopher McDonald's most iconic role as well. Like when you think of him, you can't help but think of Shooter McGavin. Oh, absolutely. Right. Cuff. I still think that it's it's Shooter McGavin. He's, he, he said that like everywhere he goes, people know him for that and he he embraces it a lot of actors might get bitter over such things but yeah he he said he went to akron to throw a first pitch out at a baseball game it was shooter mcgavin bobblehead night so i mean which i'm not gonna lie that's pretty cool Uh, to your point chad i completely forgot he was in tin cup until you just mentioned that right now yes so there you go i mean he's good at playing an antagonist for sure Mm -hmm. and he almost didn't take this role because he had felt like he was becoming typecast about becoming that jerk bad guy and uh it wasn't until he met with sandler himself and saw that he had had success with billy madison he actually appreciated that movie and adam is one of those people we might talk about this later but he just has this charisma about him and he became very comfortable with him and ultimately decided to do the role and he said it's the, the best decision he made of his career so yeah he turned it down twice but he said he was playing golf and realized hey i might like doing this for a movie yeah so <laughs> again it, and oddly enough, so there were there were a couple of other candidates for it, but this was it, it ended up being him, and it was the right call. Bruce Campbell auditioned for the role of Shooter McGavin. In fact, I I love Christopher McDonald, but I kind of want an alternate universe where that happens. I love Bruce Campbell, and I think he would make an excellent jerk. I'd like to see that. Some other fun little people that didn't quite make the casting list, but Joe Sackick of uh, the Colorado Avalanche appears uncredited during the hockey trout scene, and also Vincent LeCavier from uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning as well. So there's a reason he didn't get picked with those guys on the ice. Right, right. I saw Kevin Costner turn down the role for Shooter McGavin, too. I think that would have been absolutely terrible. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a good fit. And uh, Bob Barker, uh, he didn't want to be involved in this at all. Until he was told that he would get to fight Adam Sandler. And then he was suddenly on board. That's fantastic. It actually caused the ratings of Price of Right, uh, Price is Right to rise with college-age kids. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It was Let's Make a Deal. Or <laughs> Monty Hall. Bar- Barker even was, like you mentioned, he was hesitant. He only agreed to do it when he found out he would be the one winning yeah. the fight. Like, And he's like, well, if I'm winning the fight... And he did his own punches and, you know, did his own fight choreography, so. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool when he says, uh, wait a minute, I know how to fight. Because they were going to get a stunt double. Just insisted on doing them. That's cool. Yeah, uh, was it martial arts that he had done in his past? Or boxing? I can't remember. One of those. It was martial arts. Martial arts, yeah. yeah he studied under, uh, it might have been Chuck Norris. There were a couple of famous people, but he, he's well trained. It was stunning. Yep. So if you're not kind to uh, your pets or the whales at SeaWorld, watch out. Right. Bob's coming after you. Yeah, the last one for me was Carl Weathers. 
He actually played professional football with the Oakland Raiders, so I'm happy to ask him why he didn't play a real sport like football. That's an inside joke for everyone. Hey, this guy actually did. Huh. Uh, perhaps a wardrobe kind of com- comment, but maybe not. But the, the hand that he has that's made out of wood also is kind of a, a reference to yes. Predator, where he loses his hand. Yeah, that's the same one that got shot off, yes. Don't made of wood, though. It's real sturdy. <laughs> <laughs> So the concept for this, going back to kind of what we're talking about with the writing, though, Adam Sandler was influenced by a childhood friend. His name was Kyle, who was a hockey player, and uh, he made a go of it in, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, a Scandinavian league and a British hockey league, but uh, he was just so passionate and bent on being a hockey player, and he could hit a golf ball quite impressively, quite hard, and uh, it was out of this character that Adam knew that became this uh, character so he is now a teacher in manchester new hampshire and uh, coaches high school hockey and uh watch out or he might stab you with a skate (laughs) Um, a record for that and as i mentioned you know adam sandler had help writing this as well from the crew at snl Uh, judd apatow who i think is a tremendous comedy writer himself was also involved with this one he's uncredited but i mean he comes out of that school of comedians as well so do you like the fact that Sandler always seems to draw from the same group of people uh Jeff I, I do because I think it works for him you know it's it's kind of cliche is to, to cliche-ish to say it but when you find something that works you do it um there is absolutely nothing wrong with with going outside of your you know circle of friends and acquaintances to try and you know grow yourself and maybe stretch as a writer an actor or whatever a little bit but you know, he certainly had found something that was making him successful. It was, he found something that was making people like him and laugh at him and his jokes. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I think it was, uh, it was good for him. It certainly paid off. Yes. I, I, I've heard both sides of the coin, actually. Some people say it becomes paint by numbers, and particularly in some of his later works, it's just like, I feel like you're just putting your friends in the movie and phoning it in. I mean, grown-ups perhaps being the greatest example of... That's exactly this movie. what he said he did, though. It's like we picked a nice vacation uh, location for a bunch of my buddies to hang out and make a ton of money. I mean, hey, I can't blame him, but no. I really want Kevin James to stop appearing in movies. <laughs> uh, but I've also heard other people say that you kind of have this, like, not necessarily where is Waldo thinks you're not looking that hard for it, but where the knowing, you know, where those characters are going to pop up next. Yeah, we were all looking for Rob Schneider. Yes, yeah. And I guess Schneider is a, a later treat of, uh, of uh, Sandler movies. The Waterboy being my favorite. Mm-hmm. He was too busy with his own films at this point, I'm sure. Oh, no. Back in the days of Deuce Bigelow, when he was a big star. Gosh, huge. <laughs> Dennis Dugan, as a director, also very, very involved with Sandler's works. I mean, he's worked on Big Daddy, which uh, you mentioned was one of your favorites from Sandler. Uh, he comes back to work with Sandler again and I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. You don't mess with the Zohan. Grown Ups, just go with it. Sadly, Jack and Jill and Grown Ups too. And then he stops getting work. <laughs> Netflix got to That's... Adam Sandler and cut him off. Right. But that's uh, he had done other things prior to this, like Problem Child uh, and Beverly Hills Ninja was just after this, I guess. And my one that I like is Saving Silverman a whole lot. Coming from this group of movies and what he does here in Happy Gilmore, Jeff, do you like Dennis Dugan as a director and what he brings to the table? Again, yes. I, I think that you know he is able to 
get the most out of the the, the actors, the characters that that he's directing. Um, he definitely goes in with you can tell he's going in with the mindset of this is what I want to accomplish. This is the story I want to be told, and uh, you know whether you like this genre of movies or not, whether you find this movie entertaining or not, the reality is he hits a home run with it when he does that. So um, it was successful for him. Again, he found something that works for him. And yeah, can it become cookie cutter in time? Sure. But if cookie cutter to some actors, some directors, some creators, whatever, is to continue to pump out the same type of stuff that gets you very large paychecks, maybe that's what works for them. In fairness, these movies did gross plenty of money. Right. So It's Michael Bay Transformers Syndrome. And, and I don't mean to pick... So I, I guess let's talk about this. Some people say they're different eras of Sandler's career. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked a lot about being very affectionate for the earlier portion of his career. I think there's a middle part of his career that evolves. I mean, he does Punch Drunk Love. He does Fifty First Dates. He kind of He kind of takes a different turn. I think he's... He broadens himself kind of in the middle of his career. And then later on, I think perhaps he maybe goes and does a couple of family flicks, whether it be uh, Bedtime Stories. Click uh, was another one. A family flick. Terrifying. Very dark. Got a little dark at the end. I don't know. But I think he he shifts his his mode of comedy. He's not as physical in the later part of his career and i think that as he adapts to again not being as physical i think that's what people start to say i feel like he's phoning it in or you're just walking around making fun of rob schneider the whole movie <laughs> how do you assess the the arc of uh sandler's career jeff i i definitely can see what you're saying there with the you know the different stages um and it is something that i kind of thought about when i was thinking about adam sandler movies i like don't like um, definitely the early movies, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. Um, Waterboy? Waterboy, yeah. Trying to be a little silly, a little goofier, um, a little less mature, uh, which, which is okay. That, that kind of humor does well a lot of times in movies. Um, then when you get into the 51st Dates and uh, Wedding Singer... Uh, this one we forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's trying to be a little more mature there. Um, still funny. Funny in a different way. You don't have that... Um, Mr. Deeds that, is another one of those. Mr. Kind Deeds, of, forgot kind, Mr. Kind, Deeds. Kind yeah. of like a rom-com sort of That was zone. almost kind of, I think, the, the transitional movie, going from the, the, the ones that we started out with to when he was getting a little more serious. Um, and admittedly, I haven't seen a lot of his newer movies... Um, what's what's the one that just came out recently where he's the the jewel uncut gems. Un, uncut gems I've heard very good things about that mm-hmm. would love to see it uh, definitely different type of movie than any of the other ones that we're talking about so um, I think it's normal to assume that as an actor gets older matures you hope they would mature um, that they're going to change the type of movies that they deliver and it's going to be targeted toward a different audience. I think we had a similar thing when we talked about Ace Ventura with uh, Jim Carrey. And early in his career, he's this very rubber-like, physical, really physical uh, comedian. And when you lose that physicality, it it tends to... You, you lose clubs in your golf bag, so to speak, and you can't make people laugh in that way. So Sandler does seem lower energy. He's kind of got this grumpier sarc- sarcasm. is like his go-to tool at this point. And... Um, 
you know, even the, even the the energy he has in his face when he's like, "I'll be sure I do that," <laughs> while giving you a thumbs down, One like, of my parts. you know, um, you know, it it uh, it's it's gone to more of that. Grumpy is like, ah, "How about no?" <laughs> so there there's a difference in that delivery. But when he gets when he, I think his batting average has gone down. But when he gets it right, it's still right. I I actually really enjoyed you don't mess with the Zohan. I did too. It's totally silly. And um, if you've seen his uh, stand-up comedy, actually on Netflix, the 100% Fresh special that he did, that's awfully funny. I found it funny, too. Um, a, different, a different type of funny, like we're talking about. But I, I did find it entertaining, absolutely. Yeah. I laughed a lot. So his batting average might have gone down, but I don't think uh, he's, he's all washed up necessarily. Like, I think people have become very harsh on him. And uh, one thing that we're talking about, about all these actors getting in there. Sandler takes care of his guys, just so to speak. So somebody like Kino, uh, his his production company, Happy Madison, you know, helped produce some terrible movies like Bucky Larson, Porn Star, which is horrible. Like, really, it's one of the worst movies I've seen. Thanks for reminding me that existed. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry to say. But, I mean, uh, and, um, again, whether it be continuing to keep Rob Schneider in his movies or whatever, uh, he's, he says, I'm, I'm going to take care of my friends. If somebody needs to have work or whatever, I'm, I'm in a position where I can do that, and of course I'm going to take care of them. So that's kind of a cool thing to do. I mean, uh, people, people sometimes give Sandler crap for making bad movies, but on the other hand, he views it as, I've got a, a lot of people have helped me succeed, I want to pay them back. But he keeps doing stuff with Jennifer Aniston. She does not need money. Just two, right? I want to say it's three now. I thought there were only two. He's made two Netflix specials with her and one other one outside of that, I thought. Two's forgivable. I mean, he keeps going back to Drew Barrymore because they're a good team. Yeah. Oh, you don't like, you don't like 50 First States? I, I You're... don't. I, I'm on an island here and I'm being stared at, but yeah. it's not a great movie. I, I don't think it's meant to be a great movie, but it was entertaining. It was fun. It's a movie I can watch with my wife and I get to laugh at Adam Sandler's humor and she gets the, the rom-com aspect. So one of the things Dugan and I think Sandler together work on that I thought was really impressive with Happy Gilmore anyway was that they, they had a ton of extra scenes. I don't know if you, have either of you seen the deleted scenes on this? I have not. No. Um, it's, I think this is good comedy writing when you start to riff and start to just kind of go and what, one thing leads to another. They pulled back and chose the right stuff in a really good way. So, for instance, the alligator fight scene was considerably longer. He says a lot more stuff, but it goes on too long. Dugan had the discipline to say, what's the right amount of fighting an alligator? That's the right amount. (laughs) (laughs) Similarly, there's uh, more heckling of Happy from the heckler in the crowd. Uh, I'll be okay with that. Well, there's even a turn of the story where Happy calls him out onto the field. He's like, uh, he's like, you know what? I don't think you could hit this very well. You want to come out here and try this? And like everybody's like laughing at him, and he's like, no. And like people are like, go try, go try. And so he goes out there and he hits it and he cries and runs off embarrassed because he doesn't hit it well. And um, it, this whole thing takes a long time. Is it kind of funny? Yeah, but again, Dugan's preserving the flow of the movie. Feel the flow. Yeah. Positive. Circle. Energy. Positive. Psych. <laughs> uh, you know, there were more scenes with Otto, his caddy. Like, there was a scene where Shooter was going to go break 
Happy's clubs that were from his grandfather. And uh, as he sneaks into the clubhouse, Otto's sleeping there. <laughs> and Shooter comes across him and he's off put by him because he's just staring at him and then he ends up putting him back he's like I was just going to take these and get them you know clean uh, you know they look like they need to be fixed and then he just puts them back nervously and walks out and I was sitting there going like when in the movie does this actually happen funny yes but it doesn't meander and that's and he keeps it he keeps the train online another funny one if you like all the subway stuff was they were on a date and uh his love interest, uh, Virginia. Virginia was sitting there going, this is really good. I've never had this before. He's like, and they're like this? Yeah, they have over 3,000 stores. And, <laughs> and, they're, like, and they're all this good? They most certainly are. <laughs> and it's affordable, too. So more on the nose with Subway as well. So there's, there's, uh, it's funny to see all that happen. And again, more caddy scenes where they're telling you know you need a real caddy happy they tell you how to hit the ball they give you advice you need to get a real caddy he's like you're right and he goes over to fire auto and uh he's like so uh we got a big uh day tomorrow and uh means a lot to me and i uh just be ready okay <laughs> and like and like he, he starts to leave and like the other pros are like laughing at him good firing you're a real you're <laughs> you're real tough she just shut up <laughs> So, and that, that again shows that heart that he has. Wardrobe of this movie, the iconic Boston Bruins jersey on the field. I mean, there's this physical humor that comes from how he walks out onto a golf course. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the wardrobe choices are perfect because of that. You know, here's, here's someone with Happy Gilmore that, that clearly is not a golfer, clearly doesn't fit into that, that world of professional golf. Uh, and that starts with, not just how he carries himself, but his appearance. Uh, you know, I, th- I think when he is in the, the, the Waterbury or Waterboro tournament, whatever the initial tournament is, I, I think he's wearing sweatpants and like a flannel shirt yeah. and a ball cap. Um, you know, just square peg, round hole, the whole way around. And it's, it's perfect. It adds to that, um, you know, the character development that does, you know, it's later on in the movie, he does start to dress a little more differently. He never dresses like a pro golfer, but he makes himself look a little more presentable except for when he shows up on the ninth hole at 9 p.m. and he's in the, the suit <laughs> and that's not that nice of a suit either <laughs> it's not that nice of a suit, no. <laughs> that's a pretty rough suit which I, I i like that piece of wardrobe i was to say this is him trying right <laughs> yeah. wear something nice that was it that's as nice as it gets but at least he moved on to like polos later on in the tournament and such an unironed blue suit that looks like it had been in the back of a cl- it looks like it came out of the back of somebody's yeah. closet that doesn't quite fit him. Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> Carl Weathers in the Lacoste clothing too, the little alligator symbol on his mm-hmm. shirt. That was a nice touch. That, was, I actually yes. did not catch that, but that's a that is a that's a very good touch. Irony at its finest. And you're right. I think I think we we haven't talked about this as just being part of the concept. We talked about the hockey player being part of the character, but. The world of golf, as you mentioned, is so stuffy. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but this is one of the reasons I don't watch it. It's a slow-paced game, but also it comes with, like, this, I guess, proper country club culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is awfully fun to think about somebody coming in with the MTV potty mouth and the rock star kind of way. You know, riding your golf club like it's a pony. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> riding the ball. Yeah. Telling the people to make more noise. Yeah, I mean... 
that probably would actually go over very well in yeah. real life. Like, I think that if there were somebody who shook up the golf world like that, you would get on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Well, the NHL, uh, not the PGA, but the NHL shop still sells a uh, hockey stick putter. It's one of their best-selling nice. items. Yeah, and it's it's pretty wild. I, I don't know where it's going for at this point, but the one that they used in this movie uh, resold on the internet at one point for twelve thousand dollars wow like who likes happy gil i I mean great movie i'm gonna rate it well later just fair warning but uh who has that kind of money and loves this movie that much like (laughs) i mean like like does bill gates just go like hmm i must have that (laughs) where is this on the venn diagram of rich people and (laughs) exactly that's what i want to know (laughs) i mean isn't that what you spend like on a nice painting or something like that? Oh, man. <laughs> so on the front, uh, on Jeff Bezos's mantle, there's a uh, there's Happy Gilmore's hockey, hockey stick, stick putter. putter. <laughs> I can see Steve Ballmer buying it. He's got... That I buy. That I buy. <laughs> um, the real life PGA does have a tournament called the Tour Championship. It's played annually in September. Uh, East Golf Club in Atlanta is the final event of the FedEx Cup playoffs. But unlike its counterpart. In the movie, the major championships, the winner does not take home a gold jacket. The gold jacket was made up kind of for this movie. And it's kind of funny. Again, talking to the golf stuffiness, some of the pros, uh, even some of the ones who make appearances in this, talked about kind of not liking how this is jabbing at the gentleman's culture that they had created. So they needed to create an event that's a little bit different, create a gold jacket to just kind of distance itself from the prestige of the, the green jacket. And uh, Trevino, unfortunately, we talked about him with uh, his disapproving looks throughout it. Later says, I'm embarrassed that I was in it. I didn't know there was going to be all that bad language and violence in it. And, wow. I, and so it's, it, in a way, it did rub the golf community wrong, even though it was an opportunity for them to embrace it. If they had been more like Bob Barker, <laughs> who said, uh, I'm going to go all the way in on this. And uh, you're right. Young people start watching The Price is Right. Uh, maybe more people would have liked the PGA Tour if uh, they, sh- they shook it up. I-, I can tell you at the age of almost 50, I'd watch pro golf if there was a happy Gilmore-type player. John Daly. Uh, yeah, it's not quite the same, but yeah. Yeah, that's the closest bet as you're going to get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess Tiger Woods was living that way off the course, well, his like, thing was behind the scenes. fist pumps. I was like, oh, yeah, that's revolutionary. Isn't it, though? It's a little bit like Shooter McGavin's... Yeah. One of those funny moments that uh, was in there was Shooter, or I should say Christopher McDonald, was actually trying to sink a long putt, and he wanted to do it himself in the movie. And the crew was uh, saying, you, you can't do it, and they were betting each other for which ones, uh, like, people saying he can't do it. And Dugan, you know, they're on a schedule. He says, I'll give you seven tries to sink it. Otherwise, we got to move on. And so uh, bets are being exchanged. And McDonald's unpleased, displeased with the amount of people who are skeptical that he could do it. And on his fifth try, he sank that putt. And so that shot that they used, they used it in the movie. And he does a little shimmy and said, choke on that. (laughs) That was a legitimate reaction that he had towards the people who were betting against him. And he said, I didn't expect that to be in the movie, but they, they used it and kept it. That's great. In, in character all the time, I guess. Films entirely in British Columbia felt like a typical golf course kind of thing. Again, nailed that culture as well. Chad, did you have any other thoughts on the atmosphere that they kind of created to kind of have this guy come in and destroy things by bringing his uh, 
the people that you might see at a NASCAR rally more so at, at a golf course. What did they say? Economically diverse crowd. Yes. yes. I love that terminology. <laughs> Go back to your shanties. <laughs> I saw one of those guys with a beer hat. <laughs> Clear Budweiser sponsorship. Yes. Yeah. I, I liked it. It did feel very 90s. I, full disclosure, I used to be a sandwich artist for Subway. So like, <laughs> sandwich artist? What a ridiculous title. Uh, Wait, I already uh, felt bad about this. Did you get... Was that a term? Yes, that mm-hmm. was what we were officially employed as, sandwich artists. <laughs> I didn't know this. Just, just pile on the shame to sandwich maker. But, uh, so so all, all the logos and the slogans and things like that I recognized from the 90s. It, it felt very 90s to me. It, it's not like it aged in a bad way. Like, oh, well, this is the time period. It's, it's, uh, and I've, I've, I work with somebody who is a good litmus test of is this holding up or not? Because he's like, I don't watch any movies older than like 92. And like he's relentlessly hard on old movies or old comedies or whatever just because it's not funny anymore or whatever. And he's a huge, he's a huge fan of Happy Gilmore as well. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of a good sign. If this guy likes it, that's a pretty good gauge that uh, it's aging pretty well. And so you're right. But to your point, Chad, I think... For those who were in college at this time, that was like one of those go-to galvanizing movies of that like Gen X kind of group. I can remember the first time that I saw it. Um, I was four year four years removed from college when I graduated in '92, and um, I remember thinking that my college roommates and I would have loved watching that movie. Sitting there in the theater, thinking that man, I wish we would have had this in college. Yeah, and like, I mean, for us, it might have been like old school, you know, 40-year-old virgin or like, um, you know, Wedding Crashers or, you know, some of these movies that were out of the time that were, uh, but I mean, and like for my dad's generation, it was like Animal House and Caddyshack Mm -hmm. and these things. But I mean, it, it, it's one of the, you're a special movie to enter that kind of class of, it meant a lot to that generation at that point in time kind of thing. So, and it was, it was, because I do hear people particularly um, going around the office, as you mentioned, quoting it, and it stays in the, uh, it stays in the lexicon of people's, uh, whether it be, ah, <laughs> with the thumbs down, or um, another good one is, uh, you know, people will be like, I eat pieces of poop like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of poop for breakfast? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know how many times I say, shouldn't have been standing there. Another good thing Dugan does in this is he gets little moments, as you pointed out, Chad, along the way. Are there small little details that you latch on to, having seen this multiple times, Jeff? The only thing that was, I, I watched it yesterday afternoon, and the only thing that was kind of like a, uh, I can't think of the word I want, like a, a goof that was missed or left in that I guess you could call a small detail. And I don't even know how I picked up on it, but toward the beginning of the movie when Happy's trying out for the hockey team and there's the two coaches standing behind the glass that are commenting on the different players. Uh, you know, Happy can't skate. He has no puck management ability. He can't this, he can't that. And, you know, while that slap shot, though, he takes the shot, shatters the glass. The next scene that they're talking, like three seconds later, the glass is in front of them again. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, a little thing like that, uh, I, I thought it was funny that they missed that, and it kind of made me chuckle a little bit, but 
Um, but no, outside of that, nothing in particular, really. The, okay. The penguins from Billy Madison, they're on the first hole of the miniature golf course. That was a nice future ah. reference for me. Like, oh, these things are going to show up again. One of the ones that I thought was hysterical was when Chubbs is trying to recruit him to play hockey, or sorry, to play golf and not hockey. Uh, he, he's in the batting cage at the moment, like beating himself up by getting hit by these balls and like like taking fastballs in his abdomen and face. And like he's just like, oh, I'm going to toughen up. And then, uh, you know, Chubbs pulls him out of the batting cage. And there's this impressionable young man who sees it and then that's awesome. And he gets in the batting cage. And meanwhile, like Chubbs and like Happy are in the foreground. They're talking. But in the background, you see this kid plugging the machine, stand there and just get like absolutely knocked over by a fastball and like sit there like hunched over, like crawl out of the batting cage in the background. It's a, it's one of my favorite parts. I definitely yeah, did that at Pot Pot in their batting cages. It's a horrible idea. Why would you do that? <laughs> I saw it in a movie. <laughs> You're making me sick. Cut it out. <laughs> oh, I mean... Uh, when you first meet Chubbs, he's trying to teach this person to play golf, and he's so not into it. He's just like reading a magazine, and like she's like, she, like got a horrible form, just like knocking the ball off. He's like, "That's it, good form, good form." <laughs> there are various members of the crowd, and that obviously are doing funny things as well. You know, Richard Keel being doing these small things. The movers, you know, that's Will Sassa from uh, Mad TV. Like that's a very memorable scene where they're trying to like challenge him to hit it hit the ball for a long way so uh, there are just a lot of really good moments that when you count them all up uh you know somebody for the zamboni for happy gilmore anything Anything. did you hear pam do that no (laughs) quietly singing endless love was one of my favorite parts what friends listen to endless love in the dark (laughs) all the time It's just adding the extra layer, too. So when Shooter takes over Happy's happy place and Grandma puts on the kiss mask and starts making out with him, it's just that extra layer of adding the kiss mask in that took the scene from good to great. Right. Random old lady who, like, jumps in the car as they're approaching the, the, the retirement home. Get me out of here! <laughs> and he just dumps, like, burgers and fries on her. Take the food, leave us alone! It's funny that you say that, is that that scene where they're driving into the retirement community the first time, uh, right before she dives onto the car, uh, you see all these other older people just kind of wandering aimlessly through the grass and their slippers or whatever. And it looked like, as I watch it now, it looks like a scene out of The Walking Dead. Yes. Uh, It's like very zombie-like old people. And here's this guy who loves his grandmother. Clearly, that's the only place he can afford to take her. And he's got to be seeing this and thinking, what's going to happen to her here? But Ben Stiller's going to take care of her. I, I love the two-faced nature of him, like where she's like, I hate it here, I wouldn't get out. And then like she looks across the way and he's looking through the window making like a, I'm going to cut your throat like kind of sign in the window, like if you don't shut up. <laughs> or like, uh, And then he'll just be like outright like, oh, hey, that's a stupendous trophy there, Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> and, then, and then makes scowling faces at Grandma as if to say, say anything and you'll pay. He's got the guy on the phone and he's trying to sell quilts too. You need to sew faster, sew faster. But my hands hurt. Good news, everybody. Arts and crafts time has been extended for four hours. <laughs> what did she pull? It was some kind of kitchen duty, wasn't it? Garden duty. It was garden. garden duty. Yeah, garden duty. Kind of my fingers moment. hurt. Oh, really? Well, now your back's going to hurt <laughs> because now you have garden duty. Does anybody else's fingers hurt? I didn't think so. He's just so, 
I don't know. Again, for a small role, that's another one of those examples of a small role coming coming forward. Again, Kevin Nealon just doing things that Kevin Nealon is so good at. Uh, you know, getting into the you know zone and then saying psycho music on this one. Sandler always does a good job, or usually does a good job putting music in it. There's a lot of catchy tunes in this one. Obviously, you said Endless Love in the Dark was one that hopped out at you. But, uh, Jeff, are there any other good musical moments that you enjoyed out of this one? Uh, the, the only other song that, that sticks out in my mind from the soundtrack is It's Magic. Yeah. Uh, oh, 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 it's magic. Uh, I, I don't know who that was, but I know it's at least one place in the movie, possibly two. And then the uh, the song, and again, I have no idea who this is. I've never heard the song anywhere else. But I had the closed captioning on while I was watching the movie last time for whatever reason. And the lyrics for the, the song that was playing were popping up on the screen. When they're at the miniature golf course, the song that's playing in the background through that whole scene, um, it might be called Happy Something or whatever. I don't know, but there are lots of references to Happy This, Happy That, which I thought was kind of neat. Uh, you know, a little bit of a catchy tune that I paid a little more attention to once I noticed some of the lyrics, but um, uh, yeah, those would be the two. Okay. I loved the House of Pain uh, jump around. Oh, yeah. And then like, when, like, when Happy's having these up and down moments, one minute he, like he's nailing a hole in one, the next minute he's strangling his caddy on the course. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, he's shaking up the uh, crowd there, which, again, very 90s kind of song, but uh, the energy that comes out of that is perfect for the film. I'm a big fan of Kansas and Carry On My Wayward Son, but it just felt disjointed. That was the song that I wrote. Why is this being played right now? I figured you would like that. I, I like the song. I like Kansas. It's strange to include it in this movie. Uh, you know, Rock and Roll Part 2 is one of those classic stadium songs that you don't associate with a golf course. Golf. Like the da-na-na-na-na. Hey! Yeah. Da-da-na. So. I just write, write it down as uh, a jock jam song. Yes, yeah. There's a dated reference for that. I was going to say, I think right. that hurt people's reference for that song and <laughs> not helped him. But... Hey, song. Yes. Uh, and then We've Only Just Begun, uh, you know, by, oh, sung by Carl Weathers on the piano as well. Yes. When he's got his hands back. I like that, too. And then uh, I actually liked the uh, Tuesday's Gone, the very, very beginning thing by Leonard Skinner. Yeah. I figured, I know you're a fan of Leonard Skinner as well, so I thought you might like that opening. Yeah, that was fine. Yeah. But I, mean, I think the highlight for me was either Endless Love or you mentioned House of Pains, Jump Around. Yeah. I, oh, he gets, uh, when he gets all those checks in his car and he's like loading up on winnings, uh, you know, money, that's what I want, is another very appropriate song that's high energy as well. So a classic uh, rock slash stadium kind of 90s uh, combination there. It, it's a. Uh, all adds to the fun atmosphere of that one. Do you guys want to move into superlatives? Absolutely. All right. So, Jeff, do you want to start us off with your MVP of Happy Gilmore? Uh, for me, it's it's absolutely Adam Sandler. I mean, it has to be, uh, not just because he's the star of the movie. You know, he he carries the movie. There's a lot of great characters uh, in the movie. Um, we've talked about the, the actors and actresses and how they accomplished what they were setting out to accomplish in, in this movie, but yeah, Adam Sandler steals it. I mean, there's, you asked earlier, can you think of anybody else playing that role besides him? And no, absolutely not. Yeah, it, it's a struggle to even try and put somebody in it. Chad, how about you? I'm going to go with Christopher McDonald. Really? I desperately want that Bruce Campbell movie, but I want a, an alternate 
universe version of this. Christopher was just, he was so smug and so irritating that you just want to cheer against him. And I love the play of him and Adam Sandler. Uh, Christopher wound up improvising a lot of his lines, and I just thought he did a stupendous job. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, he, he does. It, this movie doesn't go without him either. I got to go with Sandler as well. I mean, uh, Jeff, Jeff said it. I mean, it's a vehicle made for him by him. I think this is the moment where he builds his entire career off of, because I think Billy Madison was, uh, I don't, I, I'm going to try and do this thing and hopefully it works for me. And oh, oh man, I found success. But like, it's under Happy Gilmore that I think he's really found his legs as a writer and an actor. So the whole production goes under him. He gets my MVP. Best supporting actor? Um, I'm going with Carl Weathers on this one. Uh-huh. I, I really like the part of Chubbs. Um, I, I, I like how he uh, takes Happy under his wing and uh, you know wants, wants to turn him into a real golfer. It's a good role for Carl Weathers, I think. Uh, you know, we've talked about some of the, the humorous aspects of his, of his part in the movie. Um, you know, just the way he shakes his wooden hand at Happy sometimes, you know, and tries to point his, his finger at him, but there's three wooden fingers missing from the hand. Uh, I, I think Weathers did a great job with it. Yeah. The holding him up on the golf course and kind of swaying his hips with him. Oh, yes, yes. It's all Back in the hips. Forth. It's all in the hips. Go do it on somebody else. <laughs> uh, Chad, who's your best supporting actor? When is Carl Weathers in a movie and not the best supporting actor? <laughs> That's all I have to say. Uh, so I, I win Christopher McDonald here, even though it's, uh, as you mentioned, Chad, I mean, this movie doesn't work without him. It really doesn't. And when you start saying Kevin Costner in this role, I, I do start to go like, ooh, no, that's not a good idea at all. And I mean, he has that, you have to be dislikable and play it straight enough to make it work. But at the same time, you have to be funny enough and comfortable with yourself enough to exaggerate it and steer deep, deep into huge exaggeration and just be like this total jerk. And honestly, for a movie of this kind of comedy type, he's really one of the best comedy antagonists i can think of yeah i agree so i I see why you went mvp with him i just uh yeah yeah so he's gonna get my best supporting actor nod to francis bay yeah she was great yeah probably one of my favorite grandma characters we covered her before in the blue velvet episode she was a grandma there but barbara yeah but to me she will always be grandma from happy gilmore like every time i see her face now i'm always like oh that's Grandma from Happy Gilmore. Now, Jeff, who's your hidden gem? Because there's a lot of fun, small, memorable parts in this. There are, and I, I, I don't know if he's so much hidden, um, but I, I picked uh, Joe Flaherty uh, as the, the heckler in the stands uh, that um, the shooter hires to distract Happy. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've utilized jackass yeah. for something or someone um, I will it, not make this <laughs> yeah it definitely and, and then the scene later on where he drives the volkswagen into happy and into the i don't know you'd call the, the the broadcast stand there and knocks everything down i i with a small part that he had i think he did a great job and it's another character that I think would be really lacking if it wasn't there. The best shining moment for that character, I, I think, is when he wants to hang out afterwards with Shooter, and Shooter oh, wants nothing to do with him. It's like, hey, can I? I'd be a real honor to take you down to Red Lobster. They've got a good deal right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe some other time. No, no, no. 
Shooter, you said we'd be friends. We are. We're friends. <laughs> I just like the desperate craving for approval out of this character. Absolutely. He's not even doing it for the money. He just wants Shooter to like him. <laughs> and that's the best part of that character for me. Uh, Chad, who's your hidden gem? I couldn't even find this guy's name. He's so much of a hidden gem. But whoever the extra was that played the Zamboni guy... You like the... Uh... Just him quietly singing Endless Love in the corner was killing me. Yes, yeah, lip-syncing it at yes. the end. Yeah, Mary got a good laugh out of that one as well. She's like, it's the Zamboni guy. Well, I love James Bond, as I'm well on record of saying multiple times. I have to pick Jaws himself, Richard Keel. I loved all the scenes in this one that he's in it. I love when he's got a nail in his head and he's like, he's like it's coming out soon. Oh, you can't even tell. <laughs> like, and, um, I, I like when uh, he threatens Shooter and, uh, you know, you can be sure of that. You can be sure I'll be in the parking lot waiting for you. It's intimidating. So we had that uh, guns don't kill people, I kill, I kill people, people shirt. Yeah. I, I am sad, though, because, uh, and I had never noticed this before, but once I read it, now I can't unsee it. Richard had a bad car accident, and he unfortunately had problems, uh, I guess, with his internal balancing, and he can't stand up on his own. And mm -hmm. so he's leaning on people, like he's got his arm on people or standing on, leaning on somebody's shoulder. And uh, once you see that, you can't, like, it's, it's there very prominently. And I'm glad they still found a way to work him out into the movie. Like, when they show him running, it's slow mode and shot above probably even chest height, to be honest with you, making him... So I'm sad that that happened to him because everybody who's behind scenes always talks about how nice of a guy Richard Keel is. Like, he's, like he plays this big, scary dude. But on the other hand, he's like a, he's a big... He's a big uh, teddy bear. He's Peter Mayhew. Mm. So, but anyway, loved his scenes in this one, and probably one of my favorite parts of his is just bending the club. One of the one of shooters club. Forgot your nine arm shooter. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't pick Ben Stiller. This I, was your chance. I just Richard Keel just made me really happy and unexpected. And then physically, there's just again nobody else could do this one. So I mean, uh, Ben Stiller to me. Probably should get a nod, but I mean, I mean, I loved Chris. I love. Sorry, I loved uh, Kevin Nealon. I loved Alan Covert as the the bum who yes. becomes his caddy, who's like washing his underwear in the ball washer. <laughs> I mean, he's in the way. Kind Taking of. a bath in yeah. yeah, yeah. This movie is a hard one to pick a hidden gem on. So again, San. That's that's credit to Sandler as well as Dugan, the the director, to take the focus away from those main two guys and to. That's where a lot of those laughs keep that keep that engine revving and going through with a variety of kinds of laughs. So yeah, you're right. Uh, it's, it's a tough one to pick. So we talked about all the good cast members. This is a tough one to do sometimes, but uh, if you had to recast somebody, who would you recast and who would you put in their place? Yeah, this was a tough one for me as well. Um, I, I know who I would like to see in the movie that wasn't. Uh, coming from that same era, uh, SNL background, I was a big fan of Norm MacDonald. Like Norm Macdonald a lot. Oh yeah. I would have liked to have seen him have some kind of a small part in this movie. I don't know what character I would say replace with Norm Macdonald. Maybe the whatever um, the, the commissioner, the PGA. Okay, so Dugan's character. D D okay, yeah, thank you. Dugan always works his way into um, right. his movies, but this this is by far the most in your face that he does himself. Lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, there's no characters that jump out at me as. 
man, I think fill in the blank could have done a better job in this role. But again, just from that same time frame, I, I would have liked to have seen Norm Macdonald in there somewhere. I like that. I, I kind of want to see him replace Vernon Lundquist, be the announcer. That would work. I'd like to see him do the hockey coach where you're picking people because I could see him being sarcastic and demeaning and be like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, we didn't, we didn't call your name. <laughs> Because he didn't make the team <laughs> have happy attack him. So I, maybe those lines didn't have a lot of um, bite to them. But in the in the hands of Norm Macdonald, they could sting. Absolutely. So maybe maybe we'll, we'll throw him in somewhere like that. Uh, Chad, if you had to recast somebody, who would it be? I really enjoyed Joe Flaherty and the job he did. But honestly, Russell mentioned Rob Schneider. I was kind of looking for him at... I almost in my mind, I thought it was Rob Schneider, but I'm going a different direction. Another SNL alum, John Lovitz. I want John Lovitz as this character. Oh, love John Lovitz, yeah. That's interesting. I'm also going to go after Joe Flaherty. Again, I think he did a great job, so this is, this is not a I want to recast. This is just playing the game of I have to recast. I'm also going to go after Joe Flaherty. I'm going with another SNL alum, but I think Chris Farley. His connection with Sandler... And uh, his career was taking off in parallel at the same time. And I could see him heckling like nobody else's business. <laughs> and I would love to see the desperate Chris Farley like, hey, you want to go to Red Lobster? <laughs> Red Lobsters forgot to send in their sponsorship check. <laughs> but uh, and crazed, angry Chris Farley in a Volkswagen hitting Happy Gilmore in a car Absolutely. would be phenomenal. So yeah. uh, I just... I love Chris Farley. We didn't get enough of him in his time. And uh, anytime he and Sandler are together, I always think of the old couple, too, of uh, like on Saturday Night Live when like Farley would play this old uh, woman who would like, oh, it says down at the barbecue bills, they have a special on tonight. And Sandler goes, God, take me now. <laughs> I'd like to see that duo again. But uh, if you had to pick a best shot of the movie, Jeff, what would it be? Uh, I think the the toward the end of the movie, the the last shot on the last hole where Happy wins the tournament, and he makes the basically a repeat of the miniature golf shot that he had to make, you know, through the pipes, uh, down the downspouts, uh, off the car windshield, um, and while that ball is going through all that motion, they keep cutting to shots of the fans with their heads going back and forth, up and down, watching the ball go everywhere. I, I really found that funny and entertaining. A proper amount of over the top. Like if they right. like underdid that, then it's just like, well, that's preposterous. But they took it so far where obviously no one can hit that shot, but it's just fun. Right. It's like a science museum almost. Like yes. like when you see like the the constructs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Chad, how about you? What was your best shot? I actually thought there was a pretty cool shot during the first golf game with Happy hitting out of the sand trap. Uh, they cut to a shot, the sand's still falling down, it's a nice wide-angle shot of the crowd, you get the hazard and happy celebrating right in the middle. It was, it was actually well done for this movie. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to go with the nine on the nine, him standing there in anticipation. It just captured, it, I think it captured that moment of, I'm being accepted into this fraternity of golfers and then and the sprinklers kick on and they, they milk it for the right amount of time as he just sits there and like uh, yeah yeah i'm uh i see where this is going now and i don't like it <laughs> um, good lighting too on that one so uh best scene jeff again that was kind of a tough one for me um i, I think i settle on the endless love skating in the dark 
friends always do that, of course. <laughs> um, that that whole scene, uh, you know, with the Zamboni guy in the background, um, but uh, Julie Bowen uh, making the shot into the goal that Happy thought, you know, it's, she's never going to be able to do this. Talk about your all-time backfire. Yeah, that didn't um, work out right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, of course, she's falling for him anyway. I just I thought that was a cool scene. But yeah, the uh, Happy, I didn't see it go in. Right. <laughs> like, I have to admit, uh, maybe this is a super guy kind of comment, but that was one of those best, like, oh, that's a nice, uh, I like that. That was a nice heartfelt moment for right. me. So, yeah, I'm sure if you uh, ask uh, somebody from the female audience that is nowhere near high up on their kiss list, uh, greatest kiss list, but uh, I, I love that scene as well. That's a great pick. By the way, Julie Bowen, I didn't realize that uh, the hair is so bad in this uh, and that I didn't recognize her. She's she's from Modern Family. Like, yes. mm-hmm. I didn't make that connection until this time through. Because I was kind of like, she just disappears and we never see her again. And, and Weeds. Uh, I didn't watch that one, in fairness. But yeah, uh, I, Actually, I didn't recall that she was in this. Uh, I had a little bit of a dispute with my wife a few weeks ago about the, the love interest in Happy Gilmore before I rewatched it. Uh, she, no, no, no! It's somebody famous. It's somebody that goes on. And I kept. And you were saying her. that no, it's a one no, and done. That, right. Um, but yeah, you know, Modern Family. Um, I, I wasn't a Weeds fan either, but I know she was in that. Boston Legal was one of my favorite shows in the late '90s and early 2000s, ah. and she was a primary character in that as well. Um, so yeah, it just the hair makes her almost unrecognizable. Plus, she's a lot younger. It's true. Yeah, that's that's a lot of years ago. Uh, Mary made a correct assumption and point. She asked me. She goes. Isn't that haircut like not appealing? Like, like they've got her like in like the dream sequence and like done up in all lingerie. She goes, that's very strange to see somebody presented in this manner with that hair. I said, it is strange, and all of those assumptions are one hundred percent correct. She had the beer styles though. It was fun. She did. Yes. Uh, <laughs> now, Chad, uh, we're, sorry, I didn't didn't mean to hijack that one. What was your best scene? The Bob Barker fight scene. <laughs> oh, that's that's an icon for so many people. It's just so memorable. The price is wrong. You're gonna get it, Bobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the fact that Bob Barker did it himself just makes it better. I think you've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> I also love it when they do it on TV. They have to censor it. It's like the price is wrong, Bob. <laughs> which is visibly not what he's saying on his lips. Which I love. I love bad censor jobs on TV. My best scene is gonna to go to the repossession guys taking happy stuff and then they kind of take a break to start hitting the golf balls with his grandfather's clubs and uh, he wants them to get moving again so he hits a ball to see if they'll get back to work and he hits it really far unbeknownst to him it's really really far. It breaks a window though at the end of the street which is pretty funny. And then totally rule of three and comedy rule of three. Uh, they said, no way, but she can't do that again. And so he hits it again, and he hits the husband on the front porch. And like, the guy, shouldn't have been standing there. And then double or nothing. And like, they're really digging in deep here, and then he's like, okay, but you gotta go back to work after this. And he like hits it again. He hits the wife, who's sticking her head out the window on the second floor. It would really does it for me is she rolls down the shed roof and off the front of the house and there's a good sound effect called flop right <laughs> and uh, and they all wince and go uh we better go inside <laughs> <laughs> i so often am a sucker for the rule of three in comedy <laughs> holds true here that's my best scene that's a great scene and with her falling out the window out of the window 
that's almost kind of revisited later in the movie too when the air conditioner falls out on the woman in the nursing home. Yes. <laughs> mister, mister, help me! I uh, dropped an air conditioner on the uh, mister, mister lady. I better go. <laughs> so, change one thing in this movie, Jeff. I, I apologize, and it sounds like a cop-out, but I wouldn't change anything. I, I think it's a... You know, really good movie. Um, you got to dig in there and find something. Ooh, this man. Yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry. I, he needs to be wearing a Penguins jersey instead of a Bruins jersey. Okay. You want to go there? Well, yeah, absolutely. Now that you mention it, if he were wearing a Penguins jersey through the entire movie instead of Bruins, uh, you know, that would that would be kind of cool. There was a shout-out to Pittsburgh in the movie. I don't know if you guys heard it. I don't know that I heard it. I think I missed one. it. Yeah, I wrote it down. I was like, Pittsburgh shout-out. Okay. Now, Chad, change one thing for you. I want more product placement. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to go full out Wayne's World on this? I thought it was hilarious. Yes, the, the Wayne's World scene was one of my favorites. And you mentioning that subway date, I want that. You want that back in the movie? It was pretty heavy-handed. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Chad, wants it, Chad wants it back in the movie. I want them to straight up turn to the camera and say, eat fresh. And so just so you know where that was, that was right before they go play hockey. Because she gets done, she goes, should we uh, call it a night? He goes, oh no, not yet. We've got somewhere else to go. And then they go, then they go to the hockey scene, full of subway in their stomachs. And that's a happy Gilmore date, by the way. While listening to Gameless Love in the Dark with your friend. <laughs> uh, my change one thing is going to be the girlfriend from the beginning. I'd like her to try and beg to get back with Happy Gilmore later in the tournament. She, she criticizes him for being a loser and that he's going nowhere. I'd like to see her come out of the crowd and be like, Happy, I'm so happy to see you doing well. I wanted to take you back. And I would like to give him a, like a, it's like, ah, kind of moment of like, <laughs> he's like, like, oh, really? You want me back? And like, just kind of yeah, like yelling at his, why you kidding me? <laughs> so I would like to see a great rejection on of her. So I think she, she had that coming. That's a good one. And also if they could work the Asian lady back into the crowd as well. Like if she were like from like, the breakfast lady. Extra. Yeah, like if she were in line to have her boobs signed, that would just be like, like if she, <laughs> like if she were next, that would be a nice little... Nice little callback. I like the grandmother having her boobs on. That was great, which drove Shooter nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the beach ball when Shooter gets that too. And like yeah, he like, nice. this is golf, people! And it gets stuck on his foot. That's when he starts yelling, go back to your shanties. <laughs> what a great word to interject there. <laughs> the crowd has turned on you. <laughs> best quote of the movie, and we've said so many on this, but uh, Jeff, what is your best quote of the movie? Uh, the, the Bob Parker, Price is Wrong. Uh, yeah, it absolutely is the best quote. Uh, you know, close runner-up for me. Well, maybe not close, but a runner-up for me. Not really a quote, but a series of quotes, all of which were bleeped out in the background <laughs> while Julie Bowen is talking with Dennis Dugan um, and how he's on TV. I, I mean, obviously, you know what he's saying. It's hilarious that he's saying these things in the environment that he's saying them. Not really a quote, but... The long part. line of ex yes. expletive deleted. Exactly. Yes. As they're discussing his behavior and that he's getting <laughs> <Yes>. better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we didn't even mention him yelling at the ball, like, to go home. That was... Home. Yeah, that that yeah. is one of, Strike that. one of mine. No, it's fine. I do use that a lot because my wife loves miniature golf and I hate it with a fiery passion. Wow. So are you too good for your home comes up a lot. But you know what? My favorite quote of this movie is, You're gonna die, clown! <laughs> and he knocks the, the nose off of the ninth hole, or the 18th hole of the uh, miniature the golf course. Ball. Yeah. It was mean. It laughed. It was in your face. I didn't like that right. clown myself. Spit the ball out multiple times. I got some reward from that as well. 
Uh, I like the, uh, you're in big trouble, pal. I eat pieces of poop like you for <laughs> breakfast. You eat pieces of poop for breakfast? No. <laughs> and they had such a good follow-up to that interchange. Again, I kind of like it when that dynamic kind of re-enters it without totally recycling it. Later on, Shooter McGavin threatens him. He's like, you just stay out of my way or you'll pay. Listen to what I say. <laughs> it's like, hey, why don't you go down, eat some hay, make some things out of clay, lay by the bay? I just may, what do you say? <laughs> I just, I love that uh, revving him up more and stoking yeah, that yeah. fire. So uh, that was, that's very, I, I could see myself doing something like that to someone. So I, I see you doing that. Have you learned how to play? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the grand culmination of the show. And being that Brian's not here, so we don't have to boycott half stars. I don't know what, I don't know why he does this. But uh, on a five star scale using half star intervals, Jeff, what would you rate Happy Gilmore? We can use half-star intervals. Half-star intervals, yeah. Uh, four and a half. Four and a half? Four and a half. Yeah. And uh, Chad, what about you? I'm going four. Not to please Brian, but that's where it is for me. I, is it a good movie? Probably not. But does it entertain me every single time? Absolutely. Yes, it does. I, I just think the critics may not have known what to do with it, so I don't even know that you can say that because it's endured so well. I think Roger the, Ebert was particularly mean about the thing that I enjoyed the most, the product placement. He goes through and lists out all the things, and he goes, I probably missed some, but this was ridiculous. Yes, that was the point, sir. Right. Yeah. I think that this aged well, better than you would think, and I'm going to give it a 4.5 as well. I'm with Jeff on this one. So there's not a ton of room for where a movie of this type is going to get a lot better, to be honest with you. There's maybe uh, I had a little bit of a hard time finding a best scene because they're all it's just a nice good role the whole time and that's a good thing for a comedy to have when when I have a hard time picking a best scene that's a great sign of a good comedy Chad do you want to help me pick a movie for next time I would love to sir we've never done this we're breaking new ground what ground would that be Russell? old ground old ground that's right new old ground yes great. we're going back to the silent era we're going to give you three silent movie options. They're also black and white, just in case. Just in case, that was, it, it, just to drive the point home. Uh, 1928, Charlie Chaplin film. The Tramp finds work and, a, and the girl of his dreams at the circus in 1928's The Circus. Option two, The General from 1926, Buster Keaton. When the Union spies steal an engineer's beloved locomotive, he pursues it single-handedly and straight through enemy lines. Option three, Modern Times from 1936. That's the newest of the bunch. Uh, Chaplin again here. The tramp struggles to live in modern industrial society with the help of a young homeless woman. Oh, I was born in the 80s. I have not seen any of these movies. I'll go with the circus. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's starting to push 100 years. It's not quite there yet, but... Uh... Yep, it's definitely uh, new ground for us, so I new old ground. I've never seen a Charlie Chaplin film, so this will be new territory for me altogether. I've not done Chaplin before. It's, uh, it is worth noting, Chad found this one for me as well, but it's free and available on YouTube if you search it. So the circus in full movie. So uh, Also not as long as a modern-day movie. So if you're, uh, if you're like, I haven't seen that movie, it's pretty easy and attainable to get, so... Uh, don't be, sh don't be scared to go check that one out. Apparently it's a great film, and we'll see if it is. Very good. Jeff, thanks you so much for joining us, man. Thank you. This was a blast. I really had a good time. I appreciate the invite, both of you.
Oh, it was always fun to go back and uh, go through Happy Gilmore again. It just puts a smile on my face. You've made Russell a very happy man, busting That's out his Sandler and impersonations all night. Oh, <laughs> Chad, uh, thank you, man. Always. And thank all the Lord's ladies and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. You invite, or we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. Those ratings and reviews help others find the show, and they help us know how we can make the show better. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And if you want to help support the show, uh, because making a podcast is fun but not free, we invite you to go to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. Any contributions appreciated. There's a couple bonus episodes in there from our humble beginnings as well. So as always, thank you, lords and ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chat. Now that's what I call high-quality H2O.